You know, this just happens to be January 1. There's nothing really that special about January 1. And there's a lot more emphasis in the Bible on individual days than on whole years. Have you ever noticed that? And I feel sorry for people that now have to wait until January 1, 2018. My God, that's hard to say. But to wait another 365 days to forget about all the past and have that fresh new feeling. We should have that every day. Thank God the Bible does not say His mercies are new every January 1st. So now, if I blow it between now and December 31st, 2017, sorry, you're out of luck, Bob. i got to wait until January 1 for new mercies. No, His mercies are new every morning. Every day we can start afresh and anew. And I want to encourage you, learn how to do what we normally do New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, learn how to do it every day. Forget the past. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because today is enough. Deal with today. Once today is over, it's gone. You can't go back there. Keep moving forward. Amen? Amen. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 30. I have a message not necessarily a New Year's message per se, but I believe the Lord gave me this word uh, about a week ago, and I knew it was for today. And I think it will also kind of give us some focus as we move ahead now in this 21 days of fasting. Some things that we can work on, some things that we can kind of put before us as things to really give some extra attention to as we're seeking the Lord. Isaiah 30, I'm going to begin at verse 15 and we'll read down to verse 18. And the title of my message is, Yet the Lord Longs to be Gracious. Yet the Lord Longs to be Gracious. You'll see it as we read the text. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. If you take these few verses that we just read, 
and meditate on them, what begins to emerge is a very clear picture of fallen humanity. And the story from Genesis to Revelation basically goes something like this. There is a loving, compassionate, gracious, merciful God who has from the very beginning been wanting to shower blessing, grace, and salvation on His people. And consistently, they rebel, they reject, and they turn away from Him. It's a rather strange picture. And that's why I particularly included the word yet in the title of the message. We're going to come back and talk more about that. That little word is very key here. Yet, in spite of our stubbornness, our sin, our rebellion, our consistent rejection of God's advances, His love, His grace, His call, His mercy, yet, He is still longing. Not kind of Eh, I guess I better show them some mercy, but I really don't want to do it. No, he's longing today, still, to show grace, mercy, and compassion to you and to me. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. This, this particular scripture, verse 18, has really stirred my heart in recent days. Yet, in other words... Despite all the past. And it's there. God knows about it. Despite all that past, still, nevertheless, however, but yet, the Lord, He can't change who He is. God is love. God is grace. God is compassion. God is mercy. And it also says, He is also a God of justice. And the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is God in no way, shape, or form compromises His justice and His righteousness to continue to be a gracious God. Now, in this same chapter, if we go all the way back to verse 1, we'll appreciate even more that word, yet. Because it's going to give a rather lengthy and a rather gruesome account, which I believe you and me, we can all relate to, of the condition of God's people, and particularly the condition of their hearts. God knew all that. God knew their track record. He knew their hearts. And nevertheless, He was still longing to show them His grace, His love, and his compassion. But I think it's needful for us to read this and see if any of this maybe applies to some of the things in our life because we're going to come back eventually to verse 15, which is where we started today. And there are four things listed there that we're going to zero in on. Repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. Well, repentance is meaningless unless we understand what we need to repent from and for. This is going to help us. You ready? 
Uh-oh. Look at the first word. Whoa. This is God talking. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine. Forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. Keeping sin upon sin. Now, just pause for a minute. Go back to that. We all have plans. Many of them we carry out. We're proud about them. We boast about all of our great accomplishments. But God is saying here, not all plans are necessarily the same. You've been carrying out plans that are not mine. Plans that are not mine. And this is a thread that we're going to find through this whole passage. They were not consulting God. They didn't want to know what God's plans were for them. They had better ideas. They had better plans. I think you've heard that funny saying. You want to make God laugh? Tell Him your plans. Our plans are so puny compared to His. The, the Lord says in another place, I know the plans. I know them. The plans that I have for you. Plans to give you prosperity, hope, to bless you beyond anything you could imagine. And yet, the, these folks here, they didn't want even to know about God's plans. They had better ideas and they were carrying out their own plans. They weren't interested in being led by the Holy Spirit. They weren't really interested in God's program for their lives. They already had their program set. Okay, now let's continue. Who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Now, Egypt is always a picture in the Bible of the world. The whole worldly system, worldly philosophy, worldly health, worldly treasure. And they were continually turning away from God and looking elsewhere for their help. Who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for Refuge. Pause here again. This is something, if you're familiar with scriptures, this is something God takes very personally and very seriously when you and I need help and we don't go to Him for it. It makes Him very angry, matter of fact, when we're in trouble, when we're in need, and rather than turn to Him and say, God, help me, we try to do it in our own way. And we go here, and we go there, and we go everywhere. And meanwhile, God is waiting, waiting, waiting. And he's wondering, why aren't we consulting him? Verse 3. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, 
But if you're a real child of God and God's hand is on your life, I know He deals with, with you when you try to figure things out on your own. You've got your own plans. You've got it all worked out. You think you've got a nice little package of help and it doesn't work the way you thought it was going to. And in the end, it ends up a big failure. You need to thank God for those. Thank God for those. He does that to help point you back in the right direction. Otherwise, we would keep running to Pharaoh. We would keep going to Egypt and the world for our help. God, in His great love and compassion, He'll often shut those things down to get your attention. Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. An oracle concerning the animals of the Negev through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes. The envoys carry their riches on donkeys' bank backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation. Still talking about Egypt. To Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Now pause. Egypt was a powerful nation. Very wealthy nation. It was a good place to go if you were looking for help. Financial help, military help, all kinds of help. That's where you would go, to Egypt. And that's what the spirit of the age is trying to tell the church. Go to the world for help. Look to the world for all of your guidance and for all of your counsel. And God keeps telling them here, it is utterly useless. And actually he gives a name here, Rahab. Remember who Rahab was? The harlot. Rahab the do-nothing. Continue, he's not done yet. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. Pause. Can you imagine God sending you a letter like this? That's what he's doing. He's sending a letter through the prophet Isaiah. He wants to communicate some things to his people. Before we get to the good part, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He's got some things here he needs to settle with his folks. You're rebellious, you're deceitful, and you're unwilling to listen to instruction. You know, if I had to put the entire year of 2016 into one little tiny time capsule, and I was only allowed to put one scripture verse in there, I'm going to tell you the most important verse for me for the whole past year. 
He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's all about ears. I'm not talking about hearing the sound of my voice right now. I'm talking about this kind of hearing. Listening to instruction. Listening to what God is saying. And not continuing to be obstinate, rebellious, and stubborn. You know, it's funny, in recent days, I've talked to several different people, all of whom are very expert in detecting stubbornness in other people. How many even know what I'm talking about? But they can't look in the mirror. And it's caused me to pause and go, "Uh uh-oh, I think I need to look in the mirror. Because I can spot it in you, but maybe I can't spot it in me. And that's why I said, this is basically a statement that God is making on the condition of fallen man. We are naturally rebellious, naturally stubborn, naturally obstinate. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like for somebody trying to give us advice. Why? Because I already know better. Right? Nigel can't tell me how to fix my car. I already know how to fix it. I'm an expert on car repairs. Oh, yeah, really? We think we're experts on everything. We know everything there is to know about everything. And even when somebody tries to give us some advice, we bristle up, we get all stubborn, and ah, who's he telling me what to do? That's the way they were. Unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. My advice to all of us, and I'm including myself, as we begin this new day and new year, If you are into making New Year's resolutions, I I think it's more important to make a New Day resolution and renew it every day. Make a resolution to start listening. Start listening to the Lord. You ever been in a conversation with someone and you knew they weren't listening to you? It's rather frustrating, isn't it? And especially now, everybody's got one of these, right? And they're there, and you think they're having a conversation with you, but they're talking to somebody over in Germany or Japan. They don't have a clue what you're talking about. They're not really even interested. Listen. Ask the Lord to give you listening ears. Ask the Lord to help you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches now? That's the biggest question. All right, let's go on. Ooh. They say to the seers, seers were something like prophets, visionaries. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Whoa. Think about the audacity. Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets comes into town and they go up and say, we don't want to hear from you. We don't even want to hear what the Lord has to say to us because you always prophesy bad stuff, so just be quiet. 
And if you do want to prophesy, we're going to give you a list of things that we want you to tell us. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. If you've read the book of Jeremiah, man, oh man, what a situation the prophet Jeremiah found himself in. He had the unpleasant task of warning the people, repent, get ready, because God is sending judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. Babylon is on their way. They're going to take you captive. They're going to burn the city to the ground. And for every Jeremiah, there were a couple hundred false prophets running around saying, no, 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 it's not going to be like that. We're going to have victory. God is with us. Everything is fine. The Lord is going to defeat all our enemies and we're going to go on and on and on and on. And Jeremiah got so discouraged and so frustrated. At one point he went back to the Lord and he said, Lord, you've deceived me. (laughs) You've tricked me into this ministry. Well, I don't think it's any different today. This is the condition of fallen man. Fallen man doesn't want to hear what God has to say to him. And so they look for false prophets. They look for somebody that will tell them what they want to hear. This is pretty amazing to me. Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. In other words, deceive me. Not knowing they were opening themselves up to deception. Next verse. Leave this way, get off this path. This is what they were saying to the prophets. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Next verse. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says, because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, This sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces, not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. Let me tell you something. (laughs) God has a way with words. And when God is angry, look out. And God is angry here. Make no mistake about it. God is really ticked off with these people. And he's letting them have it. You're obstinate. You're rebellious. You've chosen deception. You don't even want to hear my word. You've rejected my message. And You don't realize it, but you're building a wall. You're building a a, a kind of a house that's going to collapse instantly and suddenly because it's all built on illusions and on rebellion. Now this is the backdrop to where we began in verse 15. Let's go to verse 15 now. 
This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. Now maybe you understand why the first of the four things in our little list here is what? Repentance. My goodness, did they need repentance. Repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. But, this is amazing. This is amazing. But, you would have none of it. Even after all we just read, God is appealing to them, repent, return to me. There's salvation for you. In quietness and trust, you're going to find strength again. And what do they say? We don't want any of that stuff. Stop trying to cram the Bible down our throat. We don't want to be confronted. We don't want to hear anything. Leave us alone. That's a bold statement. But you would have done of it. Now if I were God, and thank God I'm not God, if I were God at this point, man, I'm getting some thunderbolts and hundred pound hailstones ready, and He will be doing that eventually. Don't, don't misunderstand me. God will judge the earth ultimately. But He's still in the time of grace. And you can feel the tension building here. God is saying you're obstinate, you're rebellious, you're building a house made out of sin and deception. It's all going to come crashing down. But there's hope for you in repentance and rest. You'll find salvation. And they say, nope, don't want it. And then we read in the next two verses, they do just the opposite. Look at verse 16 again. God is telling them, just sit down, repent, return to me. Wait on me. Trust in me. And they say, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. They're doing it their own way. We will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. They were, they just, there was something in them that was just dead set against Whatever the Lord was saying, whatever the Lord was trying to do in their life. And that's why when we come to verse 18, yet, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. That blows my mind. I have to confess to you, I'm still working on trying to understand and know who this God is. Because I'm not like that yet. I would be ready to smash and destroy and wipe out everything. And here God is longing not to kill them. He's still longing to be gracious to them. Wow. They were making their own plans. They were running in their own way. They didn't want to hear anything from the Lord. Matter of fact, they wanted to be deceived. They were telling the prophets, they were telling the preachers, we don't want to hear truth. Prophesy lies to us. Look at a verse that is very interesting in Jeremiah. There are a lot of these like this in Jeremiah. But look at Jeremiah 5, verses 30 and 31. And I think it gives some insight 
in the why, Jesus said in the last days, there will be many false prophets, there will be many false teachers, there will be many false Christs. And not to excuse the false prophets and teachers and false Christs, but it's the people who bring them on. It's the people who want them to deceive them. Listen to this. A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. Next verse. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. What will you do in the end? This, this scripture has really helped me to gain some insight into the whole dynamic of false prophets, deception, how whole groups can come under a spirit of delusion, how whole groups have been led astray into gross error. And don't just blame the false prophet or the leader of that cult. It's the people also. They've opened themselves up to deception because they do not love the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us when people don't love the truth, God will send them a strong delusion. And in the end, in these final days, we're leading up to a time where the whole earth is going to be under deception during the Great Tribulation. Everyone will be under a spirit of delusion and deception. So my advice to you and to myself is we better love the truth no matter how much it hurts. And we better welcome rebuke, correction, instruction, advice, counsel, whatever that needs to keep me on the narrow way in the truth. Now, there's a counterpart to this in the New Testament. This isn't just Old Testament. Paul warned Timothy that the same thing would be happening in our day. Look in 2 Timothy 4, and we'll read from verse 1 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 4. You're doing great back there. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing. Pause. I hope His appearing is in our view. I hope His judgment of the living and the dead is in our view. And I hope His kingdom is in our view. Because otherwise, this makes no sense. In view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this suggestion. I'm going to give you a little suggestion, Timothy. No, this is a very strong word. I'm going to give you this charge. What is it? Preach the Word. Not your feelings, not your opinions, not what people want to hear, not what tickles their ears. 
Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. With great patience and careful instruction. God have mercy. We need more preachers like this. Who aren't going to tickle our ears. They're going to preach the word to us. They're going to preach the truth to us. Even when it hurts. How many of you feel real good when somebody corrects you? Doesn't that feel great? Oh, thank you, brother. I just feel so nice now that you told me I was way off. No, we don't like that. But you better go home and lock yourself in a little room and once you cool down a little bit, analyze it. Was there any truth to the rebuke or the correction? Yeah. Okay, good. Then take it. People come come to us sometimes for counsel. I really don't like counseling. And I warn people now, I'm not going to counsel you if you're not going to do what we're going to tell you. <laughs> don't come here and waste my time and have me give you all kinds of advice and all kinds of counsel. And as soon as you're out the door, you're doing the exact opposite. And when you come back the next time, we ask you, did you do this, 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 this that we recommended? No. Well... Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Next verse. For the time will come. It's here now. Time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Doctrine is a fancy word for teaching. Instead, this sounds almost exactly like we, what we just read in Isaiah and Jeremiah. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Huh. Don't tell us anything bad. Don't talk about sin. Don't tell us we need to repent. Just tell us we're all great. We're all beautiful. We're all smart. We're all rich. We're all great people. We're destined for greatness. And it really doesn't matter what we're doing in our, in our lives. Because God loves us anyway. Just tell us what we want to hear. Next verse. They will turn their ears. Remember? The ear. Very important. They will turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside to myths. Now, think about these people. They are totally vulnerable now to deception. And he explains that later on in his letter to Timothy. They're going to be deceived. Why? They want to be. They don't want to know the truth. They want to be deceived. Watch out for deception. And deception of the worst kind is self-deception. I deceive myself. And then you know what happens? I start to hear what I want to hear. We can be selective in our hearing. We only hear the things that we want to hear. And sometimes it wasn't even said, but we made it up and we heard it. 
It never ceases to fascinate me after I preach somewhere to hear from different people, what did you hear? And sometimes it's like, wow, we had 30 different preachers up here. We have to be careful to hear correctly. To hear what we're supposed to be hearing from the Lord. Now, I want to go back to Isaiah 30, verse 15. And we're going to zero in on those four things for a few minutes. If, if you will, these are four things I know personally I'm going to be working on during these next 21 days. God has very clearly shown me I need to spend some time on each one of these four things. And notice the words he uses here, salvation and strength will come from these four things. How many want salvation? How many want strength? How many realize you might need some more salvation and some more strength? I do. Well, this is kind of God's four-step cure. Repentance, rest, quietness, and trust. In the King James, repentance is actually translated returning. And that's literally what the Hebrew word means. Returning. And it's, it's implied returning to me. Returning back to God. Which is really the essence of repentance. It's turning back to God. It's returning to the Lord. Hebrews talks about one of the basic foundations of Christianity. It's the first one. It's repentance from dead works. Or NIV says, repentance from acts that lead to death. I like both of those definitions. Works that lead to death are called sin. And works that aren't born out of God's will and God's plan and God's counsel for your life, they produce death. They're called dead works. It may not be anything inherently sinful, but it's still dead. It doesn't produce life, doesn't give you life, and it doesn't give life to anyone else. And the first thing here God is saying, you need to turn away from those acts that lead to death. Turn from anything that's bringing spiritual death into your life. Return to me. And a while back I gave you a simple new definition for repentance that I really like now. Who remembers it? I should give a test. What does repentance mean? Stop sinning. That's not hard to understand, is it? Stop sinning. Now, sinning isn't just committing adultery and murdering people. Sinning is not having faith. Did you know that? Whatever is not a faith is sin. Having an unbelieving heart is sin. Doing my own thing is sin. So don't be so quick and say, oh, I don't need to repent. I, I don't have any problems with sin in my life. Oh, really? <laughs> Ask the Holy Spirit to show you in the next 21 days those areas of your life where he's calling you to repentance, to turning away from things that keep bringing you down. They keep bringing spiritual death 
into your life. They're not drawing you closer to the Lord. They're driving you away from Him. And that's why the first thing God says is, in returning is your salvation. One of the great blessings of fasting, it's a time to turn to the Lord. It's just a time to shut down a lot of other things, including eating, and say, I'm going to focus on God in a new and a fresh and a deliberate way. I'm going to focus on God. And I don't think anyone has ever done that and not found new life comes from that. New life always comes when you and I turn back to the Lord. Because He is life. <coughs> Let's go through these quickly. I'm not going to take a lot of time with them. In repentance and rest. Some of you are thinking, oh, I like that one. Yeah. Rest. Just take it easy. Not so fast. In Hebrews 4, we have a very important passage on entering into God's rest. This isn't about just taking it easy. There's something far more profound that we need to understand here. Let's go to Hebrews 4. And I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 11. All right. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, so we have a promise. God has given a promise that you and I can enter into His rest. Now, we may not understand what that means just yet, but right off the bat, we know there is a promise from God that we can enter into His rest. Knowing that, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Okay? For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. The Word of God was of no value to them. And it can be of no value to you and me if we're not careful. The message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not what? Combine it with faith. Word of God is going to do you and me no good if we don't believe it. If we don't mix faith with the message, it's useless. It has no effect on us. Next verse. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. <clears throat> For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Now let's pause here for a minute. 
There are two very closely related words that are used in the original Greek here for rest. Entering into rest, it's a noun, and resting, or God rested, the verb. They sound very similar. I'm sure I'm going to bore you with this, but I'll read them anyway. Uh, rest means, in Greek, kataposis, and to rest is katapao. So that is basically the same word. It means to settle down or to cease and desist. The idea being, you were working, you were playing, you were doing something, you stopped what you were doing, and you sat down. That's the real meaning here, to settle down, to cease, to stop whatever you were doing. So even God did it. God made everything in six days, and then He ceased. He desisted. He stopped creating, He stopped working, and He rested on the seventh day. Keep going. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest, talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament. It still remains. Say that with me. It still remains. God is still longing to give us this. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in, now he's going to mention another problem, because of their disobedience. Earlier we read, because they didn't combine faith with the word, now because of disobedience, they can't enter into rest. Continue. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear His voice, hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then... And the NIV does a great job translating here because there's a different word used for rest. It's sabbatismos. Comes from the word for Sabbath. And they got it right. There remains a kind of a Sabbath rest. It's not keeping the Sabbath every Saturday. This is a different kind of a Sabbath. It's a continual Sabbath. It's a continual Sabbath rest. That remains for you and for me. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And before we go, this doesn't mean sleeping all the time. It doesn't mean, oh, now I can be a couch potato. No, remember, it means ceasing, desisting, stopping. Now we're going to define what that is in the next couple verses. Verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests, ceases, desists, or stops from what? Uh Uh-oh. 
Now some of you are saying, oh, hallelujah, I don't have to go to work anymore. Pastor said it. I don't have to go to work. I can quit my job and just sit at home. No, I did not say that. He's talking about our our works, what, what we're doing with our life. And it goes all the way back to what we already read in Isaiah 30. They were making their own plans. They didn't want God's advice. They didn't want to consult God. They were just doing their own thing. You know what this kind of work is called? It's called dead work. And if you want to enter into God's rest, you're going to have to cease, desist, rest from your own dead works and get plugged into His works. Submit to the will of God. Find out what God's plan for your life is and do it. Anyone, say anyone. Anyone. What's anyone mean? I mean anybody except for me, right? I'm the exception. Anyone, maybe that'll be the new word for 2017 instead of all. We'll make it anyone now. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. Emphasis on his own work. Just as God did from his. This is that same word. It's used for God and for us to rest, to cease, to shut everything down like he did on the seventh day. Cease from his own work. Verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to rest. (laughs) Isn't that strange? Make every effort to enter that rest. This is not going to come easily. I'll tell you that from my own experience. It doesn't come easily. You've got to work at it. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. During this time of fasting, I'm going to give you a recommendation. Ask the Lord to show you, and you might even want to have a little pad of paper and make a list of some things. Ask the Lord to show you what are the things I should lay aside at least during this next three weeks. Because later on in the book of Hebrews, it tells us, lay aside every sin and every weight that hinders you from running your race. A weight is not necessarily adultery or murder or lying or cheating. It could be the TV. It could be the newspaper. Oh, it could be one of these. Oh. You know, if I was a time traveler or something, or I came from another planet, and I I got here and I just started walking around and riding on the subway and looking at people, I wonder, what in the world is wrong with these people? Everybody's attached to one of these. Even when they're talking to someone, they're attached to it. What are they doing? Now, I'm not going to give you any rules or any laws, but you might want to think about shutting this thing off whenever you can so that you can focus more 
on the Lord. How many of you have tried to pray with this thing on next to you? Oh, Father in heaven. Half an hour later. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom. Oh, there's something. Oh, somebody just posted on Facebook. Oh, no, 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 no. And your day's gone. Your whole day's gone. I'm being serious, folks. This is an attack on spirituality. We need to recognize it for what it is. It's a tool. Use it when you need it. But learn how to shut the thing off and put it away. And seek the face of God. Listen to what God is saying. And it's going to take effort to enter into this kind of a rest where you cease from a lot of these distractions, weights, things that are dragging you down, hindering you from getting to the next one we're going to talk about, which is quietness. I'm not talking about just a room without any sound in it. I'm talking about quietness in here. Some people don't even know what that means. They have to be surrounded by noise all the time. They can't stand to be in a quiet room. Why? Because there's no quietness inside of them. God says in quietness and trust will be your strength. Returning and rest will give you salvation. Repenting, turning back to God, setting your focus on God, and then beginning to listen to the Lord and lay aside, cease from those activities that are bringing death into your life. That will bring salvation. I promise you. But if you want real strength to return to your spiritual life, quietness and trust. Quietness. I don't, I don't hear much about that anymore. It's a, it's a very rare commodity. Quietness. I hope you have a quiet time every day. I mean literally a time where you're quiet. And the phone isn't bothering you. Nothing is distracting you. You are able to focus, read God's Word, pray, and listen. We're not going to put all these up on the screen, but let me just rattle off a few verses. They're all familiar to you. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I think that's where the shepherd wants to take us in these times. A place of sitting down. That's what rest means. Lying down in green pastures. Sitting beside quiet waters. And there, He begins to restore your soul. Some kind of healing begins to take place inside. Psalm 37, 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And sorry, Mrs. Leach isn't here. Her favorite. Psalm 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. You mean I can't know God when I'm moving around? I don't think that's the point. 
The point is we need to learn how to just shut down, sit down, get quiet if we want to know the Lord and especially if we want to hear His voice. Because here's the problem. His voice is still and small. That blows my mind even saying it. The creator of the universe. Man, he can roar like a lion. He can blast the whole universe apart in one instant if he wanted to. But he speaks in a still, small voice. I'm not sure why. He doesn't have to explain to us why. But I know one of the outcomes of that is we better learn how to get still and quiet if we're even going to hear it. Because in the middle of all the noise of day-to-day life, He might be trying to speak to you, speak to me in a still, small voice, and it's being drowned out by everything else. Let's put up this next one because I like it so much. Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2. We're almost done. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now pause for a minute. That's not always the case with us, is it? But this is something for us to strive for. Because a lot of times, to be honest with you, we're concerning ourselves with a whole lot of stuff that doesn't even concern us. We're all worried and upset and anxious and fearful about great matters that don't even concern us. Next verse. But, say that with me. But, I have stilled and quieted my soul. Say it with me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Oh, we know how to tell the kids to be quiet. Shut up! Be quiet! How about telling yourself, be quiet. Be quiet. Just sit down. Get quiet before the Lord. And My experience, maybe yours is different, but my experience usually takes about three or four days, the first three or four days of fasting before I start to really get quiet. And then I realize, my God, how messed up I've been. I've been, you know, spinning around like this so fast, I didn't even realize how wound up I was. And then when I finally get quiet, it's like, oh, there you are, Lord. He says, I've been here, but you just couldn't hear me. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Coming to that place of just peace and quiet and contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And let me, let me warn you. I've, I've given this many, many times in the past, I'm sure. But the entire culture of the world around us is designed to make you feel discontented. I'll repeat that. 
The entire culture around you, particularly the advertisements, are designed to make you feel discontented. You were doing just fine until you saw that commercial with the guy driving down the road in the brand new Jaguar with a beautiful girl sitting next to him. Now all of a sudden, i got to have one of them. Really? Do you really think a Jaguar is going to change your life that much? And you know what I'm talking about. You see something on TV or you see something in a movie or you hear one of your co-workers talking about, oh, I've got to have that now. My my iPhone's no good anymore. I gotta get the iPhone 95 or whatever the latest version is. Really? Learn to be content. Learn to be content with what you have. Paul says if you have a little food and some clothes to wear, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's it. That's it. And you know, I... I I've traveled a lot more maybe than some of you, and one of the things you learn when you travel around the world, particularly when you're in poorer countries with poorer people, they're a lot happier than we are. <laughs> what a lie we have bought into, that we got to have all these gizmos and gadgets and fancy things or we'll never be happy. Really? I see kids with nothing. They're happy as can be. Just knocking a rock around in the street with a stick. They're happy. We must make every effort, particularly in these next three weeks, I'm going to recommend, make every effort to get quiet. Now, I know we have jobs to do. We have to get on the busy buses and subways and trains and all that. I'm not talking about all of that. But take time to get quiet with the Lord. And most of all, if you've got a storm raging inside of you, take it to the Lord and ask Jesus to calm the storm the way He did when He was on the Sea of Galilee. I believe as we seek the Lord and really turn our hearts to the Lord during this time of fasting and prayer, we're going to find a beautiful quietness in His presence where the Lord begins to speak things. And yes, He may reveal some more things you need to repent from. That's fine. He may give you some clear direction of changes that need to take place in your life. That's fine. But get quiet so that He can speak. And finally... I don't even need to speak too much on this one because we talk about it almost every Sunday. Trust. In quietness and trust will be your strength. You want to be strong in 2017? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Go to the Lord in every problem. Go to the Lord in every situation. He has a solution for your problem. I'm not going to go into the details, but over this Christmas holiday, I got a real victory in my life. And it would only come from the Lord. And I was struggling with something, and it was really taking my, my 
mental energy, my spiritual strength. It was just burdening me and bothering me. And I had to really go to the Lord. And not just once or twice, but I mean really crying out to the, to the Lord, even in fasting and prayer. Lord, help me with this. And you know what? He helped me. He helped me. I mean, He really helped me. And I'm praising God for it today. And I want to encourage you. I don't care how impossible the situation looks. It may be a relationship with a family member or some other situation. Don't give up on it. Go to the Lord. Bring it to Him every day for the next 21 days. Lord, help me with this. I need You to speak to me. I need for You to change me. You know, a lot of times we think fasting is just to twist God's arm to get Him to do what we want. Oh, no, no, no. And you know, Lord, straighten out that co-worker of mine. The Lord might just whisper, I'm going to straighten you out first. <laughs> and once I've straightened you out, then I can work on them. We, we usually get it backwards. Lord, straighten out that family member of mine. Okay, I might, but we'll deal with you first. Let him work on you first. Let him speak to you first. So putting all these four things together, repentance, rest, quietness, and trust, you begin to get a picture of something. Somebody who has stopped running, doing their own thing, they're just quietly, confidently looking to the Lord, waiting on the Lord, and taking instruction from the Lord. Which brings me back to verse 18 of Isaiah 30. Let's go there. Isaiah 30, 18. Now maybe we can appreciate this first word a little bit more. Yet. Yet. In spite of all their rebellion all their sin, all their stubbornness, despite all that, yet the Lord is still longing to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. And maybe in your life there's somebody that you have trouble with. Maybe you, honestly, you still have some animosity or some unforgiveness or some bad feelings toward. You need to pray over that in these days. And pray until you honestly feel the same way God felt about these Israelites. You're longing now to be gracious. You're longing now to show compassion and not... I think I've shared with you, we went through a real trial when we were living in Ohio. Uh, we had some real serious and expensive problems with our house. And as God would have it, the builder of our house was our next door neighbor. And I called him over and I showed him the problem and he was basically like, sorry Charlie, you're on your own. And I'm... I don't want to spoil your high opinion of me, but I'm going to tell you, I used to sit at my window and I could see his house 
right across the street. And I imagine myself with a shotgun. I think I can hit him from here. <laughs> Take him out, Lord. Take him out. Obviously, the Lord had to deal with me on all that. But, you know, we can get like that. We can become, we can become so deceived in our own bitterness and unforgiveness that we're actually believing, God, you're going to smite that person for what they did to me. No, he isn't. He's probably going to bless them and give them a promotion so he can deal with you and your pride and your anger. But this is our God. Yet, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Go to the next couple of verses. We'll look at 19 through 22, and then we're done. O people of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious He will be when you cry for help. As soon as He hears, He will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your what? Your what? There it is again. Your ears will hear a voice. Three guesses whose voice is this? You will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. How many of you want to hear that voice in the next 21 days and in the next 500 days and however many days we have left here? This is very important to me. I pray this all the time. God, I want to hear that voice behind me saying, This is the way. Because I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going unless He shows me. And I need to hear that voice regularly. This is the way. No, this is the way. No, this is the way. And I'm not just talking about big things like who should I marry or what's my career or where should I go to college. Even in the small things, how should I treat this person and this situation that is at hand? Ah, this is the way. Walk in it. Next verse and we'll close here. Then, after all this, they're going to do something. You will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. Notice God knew they had all kinds of idols. <laughs> Further proof of their obstinate rebellion. They don't want to hear from God. They've got false prophets prophesying illusions to them. And they've got all kinds of images and idols that they're worshipping. God knew about it. He said, but you're going to come to a place where you will defile your idols and your images covered with gold, you will throw them away, and God is very graphic in His Word, like a menstrual cloth, and say to them, away with you. Now, we don't worship idols here in America like they do in some other cultures, you know, with statues 
necessarily. Ours come in more subtle forms. It can be my own will. It can be my own way. Oh, this is the way it has to be done because this is the way I've always done it. You know what? You just made an idol out of your own will. We need to tear those things down and discard them. Anything that is taking your worship and your trust away from the Lord is an idol. Let's cast them off. Let's return to the Lord with our whole heart. Let's trust in the Lord with all of our being as we start this journey in 2017. Without faith, it's difficult. It's impossible to please the Lord. It's impossible. I don't know about you. We, we did a message here recently on Abraham and his faith. I'm still praying over that because I want God to increase my faith. I know I'm not where he wants me to be yet, but I know it's the solution. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And you and I, I'm not trying to prophesy here, I'm just being realistic. You and I are going to face all kinds of stuff in 2017. Things we've never dreamed of, things we've never faced before. We're not going to know what to do when we get to that place. We better know how to cry out to God and call on Him. And He says He'll be right there to help you. And we better get rid of the distractions, the idols, the weights, the things that are hindering us in our pursuit of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for a new day. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And we can forget the past. We can forget all of our failures, all of our mistakes. And we can return to you with our whole heart. Trusting in you. Waiting on you. Listening for you to lead us, instruct us, and guide us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for words of wisdom that you've given to us from the scriptures today. Help us to apply these things now as we move forward in these coming days and weeks. God, we commit this time of fasting and prayer into your hands. Lord, I pray that this would be a time like we've never had before of drawing near to you, of getting quiet before you so we can listen to your voice and you can lead us, guide us both individually and as a body. We claim that promise that there will be a voice behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Lord, we thank you that you're our salvation. We thank you that you're our strength. We have no other hope. We have no other help. We turn to you with all that is within us as we begin this new year. Help us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Help Help us to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the counsel that you bring to us through your word. God, I commit each and every life here into your hands. Bless us now. Make us a blessing. Keep us as the apple of your eye as we watch and pray and await your soon return.